All right, so we continue in the book of Esther today. We talked about last week how, how Esther gets to this pivotal point in her life, and she's like, all right, her, her cousin Mordecai says, all right, maybe you were born, maybe you are brought into this world for such a time as this, this perfect time, this perfect place that God has brought you here, and, and, and now's your chance. Now's your chance to be obedient to God. Now's your chance to do this crazy thing that God's called you to do. And we talked about our own calling in our lives and how God calls us to do some crazy things in our life. And God has brought us to a particular place and time and surrounded us with a particular group of people for a particular purpose. And, 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 and maybe, just maybe, that at this point in time, God is calling you, challenging you to do something that seems crazy. I was reading this morning about something that just kind of gripped my heart, and it was about, it was about Christians in Iraq and, and how when ISIS came in, this particular place where ISIS was, uh, when they came in, they just you had a choice. You could either convert to Islam or you could die. I mean, that was like your choices um, when, when ISIS came into this particular place. So it was a, a very <clears throat> difficult time for Christians in Iraq. And I was reading about, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I got it now. All right, we're good. So I was reading about how, how what, what had happened is now that ISIS has kind of been squelched in this area, then now a lot of the Christians are trying to come back. They're trying to come back to their homes and how uh, it, it, it costs like $2,000 for a house to be rebuilt for the Christians to kind of come back after ISIS has devastated their homes because that's what ISIS would do. They would, they would destroy their homes and, and, and they would, they would uh, completely devastate any of the places where they had to worship. They would do whatever they could to, to destroy Christianity. And, and the, the Christians, they basically fled so they didn't have to die. And now they're trying to come back. Now the ISIS has kind of been squelched in this area. They're trying to come back. So I was like... I was trying to think of that, you know, I was like, you know, if that was me in my American way, I'm going to go, I'm going to stay in the place that it's safe. You know what I mean? Like, like the place where I fled to because I didn't have to worry about dying. I think I'll stay there instead of coming back to the place where ISIS could come in control again. They could rise to power again and they could try to kill me again and destroy my house again and destroy our places of worship. I think I'll just stay over there. I mean, that's the way I would naturally think, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I, that, that's, that's where my natural tendency is. But then I started thinking about the book of Esther, and I went, oh, man. Oh, man, God, this is exactly the way you do things. Like, like these people, it's likely that they're in this, they say, you know what? Yeah, we have been exiled, and we've been pushed out of our, our homeland. I'm talking about Iraq. I'm not talking about the Israelites yet. I'm talking about uh, these people in Iraq right now, these Christians that have been pushed out. So they've been pushed out. And now, now they got this chance to come back home. And they feel like, man, God has given us this opportunity to come back home. And we're going to take advantage of it. We're not going to sit idly by and say, well, we're going to take this soft, comfortable, easy road. We're going to do something that we believe God's called us to do. And I was like, that's exactly what we see in the book of Esther, right? Because I can tell you, so, so here's the deal in Esther. So I'm going to have to summarize this in like 30 seconds or less, but this is the way it happens. The Israelites have been, they, they, they've been kicked out of their homeland, and they're somewhere else, and, 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 and there's this chick named Esther, and, 
And basically what happens is the king that's in charge, he kicks out his queen and he starts looking for another queen and they have this huge bachelor episode, you know, it's going on in this place called Persia and they're trying to find a new queen. This is some 470 years before Christ and, and basically what happens is she wins a bachelor competition and she becomes the new queen. And then this dude that's in charge, his name's Haman, and he, he's, he's really mean, and he doesn't like the fact that the Jews don't bow down to him, in particular this one Jew who happens to be Esther's cousin. His name's Mordecai, so he says, we should just have all the Jews wiped out. That's what we should do. And the king says, all right, that's cool. You can do that if you want to. You got the ring. Do the thing that you are telling us to do here. You want to do that? Go ahead. It's fine. And what he doesn't realize, what the king doesn't realize is that if he makes this decree, if, it, if this becomes law, then what that means is that Esther is going to have to die. And he likes Esther. He likes her a whole lot, as a matter of fact. This huge competition that they had, he liked her the most. So she must have it going on, you know. And like he's, he cares a lot about Esther. And now he's, he's got this thing happening where he's, he's like made a decree that all the Jews are going to have to die on March the 7th of next year. And it's not good, man. And Esther, she starts freaking out because that's her people. That's her. And, and so she, she talks to her cousin Mordecai about it. Mordecai's the one who gives her the news. Says, this is what's happening. Now, you need to know what's going down. You're all plush and nice in the kingdom. You don't know what's going on, but let's go, let me tell you what's going on outside. And he sends word to her, shows a piece of paper. It's like, here's, here's what's been said. He said, all the Jews got to die on March 7th. They got to be killed by the people of Persia. And he said, this is why I've been freaking out. This is why, I, you know, I've been sad for a long time. He says, you got a choice now. You can go to the king and you can ask him. You can ask him to reverse this thing. And she's like, I can't go to the king. If I go to the king, you know what happens to people that go to the king without being invited to the king? They die. They die, especially me being a woman and a queen. We've already seen that the king is not so lenient towards women that don't obey him. They don't do what he says. He obviously kicked Queen Vashti out. So this is not a guy who plays well with others, right? So here, she's like, I can't do that. It's going to be crazy, like difficult, and, and, and my life is going to be on the line if I do that. And sure enough, Mordecai challenges her. He's like, well, maybe... Maybe God has put you in this time, in this place, for this purpose. And he says these words that you often hear around Esther, and that is such a time as this, a particular time, a particular place, a particular reason that you are where you are. And I would say that every person who is a Christian has a calling on their life, and God has put you in a particular place and challenged you with a particular goal that may seem crazy to you and may even mean that your life is on the line. And God has said, go do this thing. And you're like, I don't know. And we like to make excuses, don't we? We, we, we love to make excuses. Well, <clears throat> I don't know enough about the Bible. That's the number one excuse I get. <clears throat> I, can't, I can't do this thing that God has called me to do because I don't know enough about the Bible. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Some 12 years ago, I guess it was about that. Maybe not that long. Maybe it was only 10 years ago. I was explaining a story to, to somebody, and, and, and like I got the disciple John and John the Baptist mixed up, <clears throat> and it wasn't because I just made a mistake. It was because I didn't know the difference at that point in time, and that was 10 years ago. You're like, whoa. <laughs> 
dude, I thought that you had like been digesting this stuff since you were like three years old. Like, like I thought that God had just been like feeding this stuff via osmosis into your brain. No, no, it, it came through a lot of Bible study and a lot of diligent time, me sticking my nose in these pages and saying, God, what are you trying to show me and tell me? I'm telling you, don't use the excuse, I don't know enough about that book. You can know enough about that book. You just got to choose to want to. You just got to choose to want to. And let me tell you this. By the way, in that 10 years along the way while I was learning and trying to understand what it means to become a pastor, God was using me. As I was learning, he was using me and teaching me stuff. And he was actually using me to teach other people the Bible as I was learning. You know what I did? I'd be like, hey, I studied this, I learned this, let me tell you what I learned. Is That's crazy talk, right? Like you would actually study for yourself and figure something out about God's word and you go tell somebody else about it. It's crazy talk, right? That's exactly what the Christian life is all about. That's exactly what the Christian life is all about. But we make, excuse, we make all kinds of excuses. Man, I, the, the people that are around me are not godly. I can't talk to them about the Bible. Did you hear that? That sounded crazy, right? Like, the people around me, they're so ungodly, I can't talk to them about the Bible. Don't you think that's exactly the people you should be talking to about the Bible? Isn't that exactly the kind of people you should be? They're not godly enough. I can't talk to them about God's word. Well, that don't even make sense, y'all. That don't even make sense because that's exactly the kind of people you're supposed to talk about, talk to, talk, talk to, to them about God. You're supposed to just communicate the truth of God. And listen, you don't have to say, like this is in Hebrews 1.11. I mean, like you ain't got to do it that way. You can just say, man, I read this. Let me show you what God showed me and something I encountered. Like, and, and I remember, I, said, I don't know where it says it. It's like, I don't know, First John, Second John, the John, the gospel, I don't know, man, but it says it in there somewhere. I remember it says that I'm supposed to do this, and I was doing something, and God reminded me of that, and I was like, ah. And that's communicating the gospel. I know that's that's like Kenny jargon there, but but like that's communicating the gospel. I mean, it's just talking about the the, the things in this book, man. And God's called us to do this. We make all kinds of excuses. And, and, And Esther, I think she was on the verge of making some of those excuses too. Her excuses are a little more in-depth than ours because I don't know anybody in here says, I can't talk about what God's called me to do because it's going to cost me my life. I, don't, I haven't really encountered anybody here in the United States of America that's ever had that. Now, we've talked to some people that's been missionaries other places and gone other places where their life is on the line or grown, grown up in other places. And they've come and spoke here about how the fact that when they became a Christian, their life was on the line. But man, we're too afraid of being awkward. We're too afraid of, of embarrassment and all that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of excuses we use. And here, here we see Esther. She's like, all right, Mordecai. This is her cousin. She's like, all right, Mordecai, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. So you fast for three days. And I'm going to fast for three days. And you tell all the other Israelites, all the other Jews, y'all fast for three days. I need to give you a little something on fasting, okay? Like, why, 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 why is the whole fasting thing? Kenny, I don't understand. I don't get it. All right, I'm going to give you like a minute and a half on fasting, okay? What is fasting all about? Number one, it is assumed by Jesus when he speaks about things like prayer that we will pray, that when we give to the poor, we will give to the poor. He, this is expectations of Jesus. This is like, if you're a follower of mine, you will do these things. Give to the poor, you will pray. And you will fast. Okay? 
Now, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you mean I got to give up secular music for, for 30 days? I can do that, man. That is, that is my sacrifice to God. And, and man, I'm giving myself all in. Yes, you can do that. And that is a way for you to get focused on God. Let me tell you something. There is also a fasting where you deny yourself of food. Okay, for a period of time. You're like, oh, son, now, we, <laughs> you mean like, like the stuff you eat, like I can't eat for a period of time? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, you're getting too radical now. Okay, well, let me just tell you what it is. You can choose to listen to me or you can choose to ignore me. Let me talk to you about fasting. Fasting is a real thing. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you to do it if I hadn't done it myself, if I don't do it myself. But let me tell you something about fasting. Fasting can be done. Even if you think that you can't, it can be done. Now, if you are a diabetic or something like that, then you should be careful when fasting, but you can still fast. I'm talking about fasting from eating. And what is that all about, Kenny? It is just simply about this. It is about understanding a deep connection, a deep reliance on God and saying, you know what? I don't even care about food. All I care about is that deep connection with God, and that is the most important thing in my life. Now, I, do I have, okay, so as your pastor, I need to make recommendations to you. If you can, if you can, I recommend a 40-hour fast. You're like, that's almost two days, dude. Like, that's a long time to go without food. Yes, you're right, it is. I promise you after the first 12 hours, and especially after the first 24 hours, you will, you will have a deep connection with God. That if you are dependent solely on Him and not so focused on the fact that you aren't eating, okay, that you will have a deep connection with God. I promise you. I promise you. I speak from experience here. And I'm telling you, it is just like you want to be so fixated on God. God, give me clarity. Speak to me. I want to hear from you. And I'm not going to eat because I don't care about eating. I just want to be fixated on you and you alone because you're the most important thing to me right now. I'm telling you, it's a real thing. And most pastors don't preach that you should not you should, you should go and fast and not eat. Most of them will say, well, yeah, you need to abstain from chocolate or you need to abstain from soft drinks and that'll be your dedicated service to God. No, I'm talking about crazy radical. I'm just giving all the food up and I'm, I'm just seeking Jesus. I'm telling you, it's beneficial. I'm telling you, it's beneficial for you and your connection and your, and, and your deepening of your faith with God. I'm telling you, it is beneficial. I will give you a tidbit here. If you get hungry, drink milk. If you get dizzy, drink juices, okay? And that's just a practical application for you if you choose to fast, especially if you're doing a 40-hour fast. You're like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's okay. Am I supposed to only drink water? I, I'm making my recommendations, just my take on what you should do in order to be able to help you through that fast. But I do believe in fasting, and I believe it's something that Jesus expected us to do, and I don't believe it was fasting from chocolate, okay? That's just my take on it, all right? So she says to all the Jewish people, you go and you fast. I'm going to fast. We're going to get ready for this thing that is going to happen where I have to go and I have to approach the king where my very life is going to be on the line for me to be able to do this. So, so she, she, she's preparing herself. She's she, she strengthening herself by, by, by fasting and, and deep in prayer and seeking God through this whole time. How many of us have done that? Like you got a big decision coming up about a job, a new house, getting married. Say, <laughs> so you know what? I'm just going to solely focus on God to make sure this is what God wants me to do. 
I'm going to be so fixated on on God that that, that nothing else is going to matter. I'm just going to get focused on him. And you put everything else in the background. Admittedly, I don't do this very much, but I I know that, that, that I need to, right? There are times when I could certainly do better at that. Here's this big thing that's coming up. And there have been times when, before Simple Church uh, started, uh, I fasted for a period of time. And, and, and I, I didn't really talk about it with anybody because that's the other thing about fasting is you don't really talk about it. You don't tell people, oh, I, I'm fasting. You know what I mean? That's between you and God. If there's any way for you to avoid the conversation, you telling them that you're fasting, you take that opportunity to, I'm not telling you to lie. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you can avoid talking about the fact that you're fasting, avoid talking about the fact that you're fasting. Somebody offers you a meal, you say, I'm fine, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I, I, look, what I'm talking about is crazy here, but I also know some people that have fasted for 40 days. I know some pastors that, that before they took a church. Now, I know one particular story that I remember very clearly is that this one pastor was about to take a church, and, and he was in... Uh, he was in prayer and fasting and was fasting for 40 days about whether or not God wanted him to, to, to be the pastor of this church. And you know what they did? They invited him for a, a big get-together at the church to meet everybody. And you know what they did? This is a Baptist church. So you know what they did, right? They had all kind of food everywhere. And he didn't eat nothing. They offered him food. He said, I'm fine. Thank you very much. I appreciate the, the offer. And he said, you got to eat something, you know. Like, they, they didn't like the fact that he wasn't eating. That was offensive, you know. And it's like, no, I promise I'm good. This dude was taking vitamins, drinking milk, drinking water, drinking juices, and that's how he was surviving for 40 days with no food because he was so fixated on God. And here we see Esther telling everybody to do this. Let's fast together. Let's go. It's a big deal what we're about to do. It's important. So we want to be so fixated on God that nothing else is in our way. In chapter 5 of the book of Esther, we see this. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out his golden scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. That's a huge deal, y'all. That's a huge deal, y'all, because nobody approached the king without him asking for them to come. And now, finally, she's gotten the boldness. I cannot imagine how her heart was pounding out of her chest when she's standing there. She's just within his sight, but he can see her out there. And he knows, like, I mean, he's got the choice right now. At this particular time, he can put her to death for doing what she has done, for disrespecting him by her telling him that she is going to come and talk to him. Or he can extend that scepter. He can extend that scepter. Oh, there's a picture here, y'all. We can't miss this. I can't, just, I can't just gloss over this. Can you think of another, indi- another time when, 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 when the king was on his throne and he had the choice to say death or extend his scepter and say, I accept you. Come on in. <laughs> It's a picture of salvation, isn't it? Because we have no right to be in that inner court. We have no right to approach the king. But because of his his scepter of grace, he extends it out to us and says, come on in. You can be in my presence now. You're one of mine, so come on in and we can talk about this thing. You're not on the outside looking in anymore. You're on the inside. And he extends that scepter of grace and he says, not death for you today, but life for you today. 
Oh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't just skip over that. I had to show you that. The king sitting on his throne and offers a scepter of grace. And Esther is at the receiving end of it. Have you ever been at the receiving end of that scepter of grace? Where God extended it to you and allowed you to come on in? You know what some people do? They stay out on the inner court out there and they don't come on in and they don't fellowship with him and they don't talk to him. Oh, what a sad thing for the, for the king to reach out to say, I accept you. Come on in. And, and us to go, no thanks, I'm good. Thanks, I'll just stay out here on the outside looking in. Oh, what a shame that would be if Esther had done that, wouldn't it? What a tragedy that would have been if she said, no, that's okay. I'm too scared. I, I'm not really sure what will happen if I go up there to where you are. I think I'll just stay over here in the dark. No, 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 Esther. Esther, what does she do, man? She approaches the king, and the king asked her in verse 3, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Oh, I, I can't get away from the analogies here. He, he offers her the kingdom, right? <laughs> like the king is on his throne offering a scepter of grace, and he offers her the kingdom. Isn't that us, man? That's us, y'all. God offers us the kingdom. He's like, here's the kingdom. Here's your portion of the kingdom. Come on and be part of the kingdom. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't skip over it. I, I, I read that and it like just jumped out of the page at me. It's like, that's us. That's us. You see, the word Esther, the, the name Esther means something hidden. That's what it means, right? And I told you before that in this book, God's name is not mentioned at all. The term God is not really mentioned in this book at all. The term Esther means something hidden, which what is hidden in this book, what is hidden is God is hidden. He's all over the place, but he's hidden, right? Because his name isn't mentioned, he's hidden, but he's all over the place. And we see his hand at work all over the place. And this example I see of the king reaching out his scepter and offering her, like, come and you can have half the kingdom. What is your request? You know, that's God's invitation to you today. What is your request? What is it that you ask of me? And the word... The word, the single, the single word is your forgiveness, your salvation, your grace, your mercy that I do not deserve. And the king reaches out his scepter and offers half the kingdom. And Esther replied, if it please the king, let him and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. Talk about it. Okay, I'll get there. The king turned to his attendants and said, tell Haman to come quickly to the banquet as Esther's requested. So, king, so the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. So you're like, Esther, what in the world's going on here? The king has just offered you half the kingdom. Now, I want you to understand that this, this is terminology is using like, hey, I have the ability to give you the kingdom. What is it that you request? And he's trying to reinforce that with showing his power and his might. He's like, man, you tell me what, what it is that you desire and let me fulfill this request. I have the power to give you the keys to the kingdom here. And here we see her request. It looks like she's, she's dodging. She's ducking out. It looks like she, she's shucking responsibilities, offered us everything, and I just asked him to come to dinner. Like, what is up with that? This is where discernment comes in, okay? There's a couple of things going on here, and I believe that when you listen to God, when you listen to the things of God, when you listen to his voice and his voice alone, he may say some things that don't make a heck of a lot of sense right at that moment. 
But we'll find out later that you know what? God was orchestrating this to have some time for things to happen in the middle before she finally made her request to the king. Now, we all know that her ultimate request to the king is going to be that the, the Jews not be killed, that her people not be killed, that they be rescued, right? So we know that that's coming. Well, right now, this is all setting up for that to happen. And here, Esther says, this is not the right time. This is not the right place. You got all your boys and your scribes and all your magicians and stuff, and they're all around you, and they're the ones that, they're the ones that they advised you to have Queen Vashti kicked out. So maybe this is not the right time. Let's get them alone. Let's, let's get him and Haman alone and let's just talk to them together. That's what's going on here, right? She's like, well, just come to a banquet. It looks like she's ducking and dodging and skirting responsibility that, that she should have just said, all right, let my people go. And, and, and it would have just happened right there. Well, if we do this apart from God, then who knows what the end result would be. But if we listen to God and we, we seek his discernment and his, his path and his way, then we go, okay, all right, God, I don't know why, but you, you told me just to start small. Now, I want you to understand something about Persian culture. The way that you did things in ancient Persia was that you negotiated a little bit. You kind of drug it out a little bit. You didn't just go up, slap the money on the table, go, hey, I want two of those, give me two of those, and I walk off. That's not the way it happened in ancient Persia. The way it happened in ancient Persia, you go like, oh, those are two for ten? Yeah, I don't know if I like that price, man. How about three for ten? You know, and you're like, he's like, well, I can't do three for ten, you know, but I, I can do like, like two for eight or, you know, and he's like, and you just negotiated. You didn't, you didn't just go out and abruptly ask for what it is you desire. You kind of worked it a little bit. It, it was insulting. You just went up and said, hey, here's what I want. Give me what I want. And then you walk away. That's not the way that it happened in their culture in that day. So that was part of what was going on here is that the Queen Esther knows that that's part of their culture. So she doesn't want to be insulting to the king. She wants to negotiate things a little bit. And she wants to take her time in this process of ultimately asking for what it is that she's going to ask for. So there's a lot of things that, that you know, when you study the Bible, you got to study the stuff around the Bible too. you got to read what other people have said about it. you got to read what historians have said about the time and the culture and the place. And those study Bibles that are that thick, that are sitting on the shelf at Lifeway, you need one of those. They tell you all that good stuff, man. You're like, well, I didn't know that about ancient Persia. But you can know. Did you think that I knew about ancient Persia like that? No, I just studied I just studied, and then I understand more and more. Why? You know, you ask the question, why did Esther do that? Study and figure out why. I promise you, you can figure it out, man. It takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort, but I promise you it's worth it. And here we see Esther. She's taking her time. She come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. Hey, he, the king says, hell. Tell Haman to come to the banquet. Esther, just like Esther is requested. Now, I want you to understand, Esther is making requests of the king now, and the king is obeying. You notice this? Do <laughs> you realize how big of a deal this is? From her going to the place of her life being on the line to now she's making requests of the king and him obeying? There must be another king involved here somewhere. Oh, wait, he's hidden. <laughs> I appreciate the chuckles. And while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther in verse 6, Now tell me what you really want. <laughs> that sounds like a dude, doesn't it? <laughs> a woman brings you to dinner, gives you some wine, and he goes, All right, tell me what you really want. 
I know this ain't about you just giving me a nice dinner. I know that's not what this is about. Yeah, it still worked that way back in ancient Persia too, yeah. The, the wife cooks a big, nice meal. You come in. Don't you immediately go, okay, what is it that you want? Is there a new car somewhere out there on the horizon? What is it? Sometimes, what did our kid do? Why are you protecting them? You know, that kind of stuff. Now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I'll give it to you even if it's half the kingdom. Now he's reinforcing, man. I got the power to give you the kingdom. I don't want you to understand how, how, how deeply the, the king is. I mean, he's connected with Esther. It's a big deal. And Esther replied, Okay, this is going to blow your mind a little bit too. So Esther replied, this is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask. <laughs> I love that, do what I ask. Like the king's doing what she asked. He, she's making requests to the king now. Please come with Haman tomorrow to a banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. You're like, man, this is the second time. Come on, Esther, they're all alone. Man, now's the time. What are you waiting on? You know, it's like, let's go. You know, we don't have to wait any longer. Let's just say this thing. Let's get it, let's get it over with so that you don't have to worry anymore. What's the king going to say when you make this request? This is where the cliffhanger comes in, y'all. We got to wait till next week, and we got to see what, what God's doing in the middle and, and all this stuff, and, and then we'll see. In chapter 6, more about what's going on here and why God says just wait 24 more hours, you know. Just wait 24 more hours. And she's being patient here because I know that in my own self, I'd be like, let's go. I, I'm just, I'm re- I, you know, when you got that stress, it's like crushing in on you. You just got to say it and you want to explode and you can't wait 24 more hours. You're just like, oh, please, I just got, come on, let's get it over with. And she's like... I got another meal prepared. I got another meal prepared. Now I want you to understand here that God is at work. That God is at work. That that Esther understands about the culture. She understands the king. She understands a whole heck of a lot more than we understand. But she also understands that she needs to follow her God. And she needs to do the things that her God is telling her to do. And right now in this particular time, in this particular place, God is saying, all right. I'm still doing some stuff. Just 24 more hours. Just 24 more hours. Notice that, that, that she knows what the end result is, but she's still st- seeking God on the steps in between. Right? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a powerful thought right there, isn't it? I know what the end result is, but I still need to seek God on the steps in between. I don't need to jump to the end result and go, well, this is what God wants. Let me just make this happen, you know? No, you come face down before God and say, all right, God, show me the next step. Show me the next step. Now, we have taken this to a crazy level here at Simple Church, and, and, and we, we have said many times before that, that we are to pray about all the money that is spent. Like every single dime that goes out of this place, out of our checking account, we are to pray, God, is this what you want us to use the money for? That includes paying lease on this building. And if God says, no, do not pay the lease this month, then we will not pay the lease this month and we'll have to find another place. I'm telling you. Everybody's like, whoa, that's crazy, dude. Like, we got to have a place to meet. I promise you. If God calls us to do something else, he says, this is not the place you're supposed to meet. He'll provide a place for us to meet. Okay? 
So we, we seek God in every single step so that we say, all right, God, you show us the way every single step, not a single step without you. And I believe that's exactly what Esther's got going on right here. I believe that's exactly what Esther's got going on right here. So I'm going to summarize just real quickly for you the last part of chapter 5. So what do we see in the last part of chapter 5? We see, uh, we see Haman getting a real big head. He's like inflated pride. He's all about himself. What do we see? He, brings, he, he comes back from the dinner he's just had with the king and from the queen. And he, he's, uh, he's probably a little bit drunk, admittedly. And he's coming back, and, and he runs. And he's on cloud nine because everything's going good. Like, I am the man. You know what I mean? Like, that's what he's saying. Like, I have, I have been elevated to this place of authority with the king and with the queen, and they're chilling with me, and we're drinking wine, and it is good, you know? And he, so then he rolls out, and he, who's he run into? Mordecai. Oh, stinking Mordecai. That's the guy that won't bow down to me when I walk out everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, he's the guy that won't respond like everybody else does. And he gets all angry again. You know why? Because he got so much pride, he gets angry. He's not looking at, at just his situation. He wants more, always wanting more. Whatever the next level is, that's what I got to have. He just had dinner with the king and the queen and like their inner circle. And, and he, he gets mad because some dude out on the outside gates won't bow down to him. Pride is so destructive, man. So destructive. If I have one single prayer for you guys to pray for me, and that is that my pride will never get to that place where I am thinking too much of myself, or I am afraid to come down to an altar and pray to the God who has control over every single thing in my life, and when I need him, I can come to him, and that I will not become too prideful to think that, that because I'm the pastor, I can't do that. Please, please, please allow me to take out the trash sometimes. You know what I mean? Please allow me to do that. I don't want pride to rule and reign in my life. I don't want that. Because look how destructive it is to Haman. And then Haman, he gets this. He, what it, what is it everybody does when, when, when they, they get full of pride? They always get their yes men around them, don't they? Like you, you see this with celebrities, right? They got the celebrities and then they got the people that just say, yeah, what you're saying is good. That's a good idea. You know why? Because they like their money, not them. So they don't tell them the truth. I have a friend of mine who told me this one time. He said, your best friend is the person that tells you the most truth. Oh, <laughs> some of you are reevaluating like, I don't know if I got any friends. <laughs> your best friend is a person that tells you the most truth. These people are not his friends. It's his wife is one of them. And then he's got his boys and they're like, you know what you should do? You know what you should do? You should, go, you should set up a pole, giant pole. Now, it's not just a normal pole. This is a 75-foot pole, and you should, you should set it up and sharpen it on the end because you should ask the king to have Mordecai impaled on that pole. That's what you should do. I think that's a good idea. And, 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 and Haman's like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's do that. Let's set up this pole. And that's what he works toward because his stinking pride's gotten a hold of him. He's so worried about this dude named Haim, or Mordecai that he can't stand himself anymore. It's not enough that the Jews are going to be killed on March 7th. No, that's not enough. He wants to have Mordecai impaled upon this pole because he's so egotistical and so prideful. He's talking about how much money he has and the fact that he's been hanging out with the king and the queen, and that's where he's at. And that's what we see at the end of chapter 5. We see how, how Haman's pride has gotten a hold of him and how it's destroying him from the inside out. And we're going to see some more in chapter 6. Man, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's like, a, 
it's like a soap opera, isn't it? It's like, man, I can't wait to get next week. I got to see what happens. I got to see what happens. But what have we seen in chapter 5? What, what have we really seen? We've seen Esther, who was born a Jew, orphaned. And now, now her cousin Mordecai has raised her up. He's, he's a godly man. He's taught her how to be godly. He's trying to teach her that you can be used of God. That just because you're inside the palace doesn't mean you're no longer a Jew. You can't get rid of that heritage. It's who you are. And if you think he won't kill you, you're wrong. As soon as he finds out who you are, you'll be one of the ones that dies on March 7th too. He said, God has created you for such a time as this. For you to be able to have contact with the king like none of us have availability to. None of us, none of us other Jews. There's only one you. And you're the one that's in this place at this time. And you're the one that has the opportunity to go to the king and say something that none of us can say. And her life's on the line. Her life's on the line. And what does she do? She fasts and she prays. She goes to her God and talks to her God. And says, God, I'm doing this because you've called me to do it. And what do we see in chapter 5? We see an orphan young girl saying yes to God. Because that's what matters in her life. It's not her life that matters so much. You see, for us, so many times, it's, it's all about our life and saving our own necks and doing what, what, what we think is going to make us okay, it's going to make us safe. Well, let me tell you this. When God calls you to do something, I promise you, you have to put your life in his hands. You have to say, God, whatever it is that you have for me, I trust that I will be sustained to be able to get through it because you have brought me to this place. You have brought me to this place. And as she is seeing the end result, what is she doing? She's still praying and asking God to lead her. God, show me the next step. Show me the next step. I don't want to do this apart from you. I don't want to do it apart from your way. Oh, we need to do that, y'all. We need to do that. We need to just get down on our face before God and just beg him, God, show us the next step. Show us the next step. Some of us have very big calling, a very big calling on our life. Some of us in this room are called to be missionaries in some other country for the rest of our lives. There's some people in this room that I believe God has called you to do that for the rest of your life. I also believe it's probably some of the people we don't expect that God has put that calling on our lives. God has called some in this room to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be pastors, to be elders, to be teachers. God has put that calling on your life and, and, and you hear him, you hear the voice. You haven't fully responded and said yes to it. But you know it's there. And you know it's God. And then some of us, for some of us, today God has extended that scepter of grace. And right now in your life, you feel like you're in the outer courts and you're, you're, just, you're on the outside looking in and you, you want to you get in there to where the king is. And God has extended the scepter of grace and he says, come, I'll give you your part of the kingdom. What is it that you request? And maybe today, maybe, maybe today your answer is that, God, I just need you. King, I just need you. I can't do it alone. I can't do it on my own. I just need you. I need what you have to offer, and that is your salvation, your grace, your mercy that I do not deserve. That is my request. I pray, I pray today that 
you would simply respond to him. You would simply, it's not easy. It's not easy and it won't be easy and I'm not going to pretend like it is. But I will tell you this, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this precious word and the testimony of Esther. God, how she risked everything. She put her very life on the line as a Jew. She, she, she put herself on the line because she knew that this was her time and her place, God, to respond to you, to be obedient to you. That nobody else had the opportunity that she has, that she's the only one in this place and this time. God, each of us, we're in a, a particular place and time in our lives, and God, you're calling us to something. Every single one of us is being called to something. That's why we're here today is because you have spoken to us through your word because you want to call us to something. I pray. I pray that we listen to your voice and your voice alone. I pray that we would stop making excuses. We'd stop looking around at everything, everything else, God, to say why we can't. But we'd only look to you and say, you are the reason that I can. You are the reason that I can. And then there are some, Lord, there are some that came into this place today so they could hear that you are extending your scepter of grace as the king sitting on his throne. You have extended that scepter of grace and you have done it through your son, Jesus Christ. That you put his life in our place. That his life was on the line so that ours would not have to be. God, I just pray. I pray that we would be people that are responsive to that. That we'd be accepting of you and the grace that you offer to us. That we would not be on the outside looking in. And for those that have a tremendous calling on their life. God, something that they can't even fathom right now, that they're just, they're trying to understand, but the God, they know that it's there. I pray that they would surrender to the next step. Father, whatever the next step may be for them, I pray, God, that they would respond. they just say yes to you, and you'd continue to reveal yourself to them. God, you're so good. Be glorified now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.